Hey there, you're listening to the Aligned Women Podcast, the original podcast for women in chiropractic. If doing all the things you were told to do to grow your practice have left you overwhelmed and exhausted, you're in the right place. I'm Dr. Danielle Eaton, the founder of Aligned Women. We help women in chiropractic who are just like you to grow profitable practices without sacrificing being present with your family. If you're done with spinal screenings and health fears, want more time freedom, more money in your bank account, and a practice that you love without sacrificing your health, be sure to grab the Aligned Chiropractors Survival Guide at AlignedChiroSurvivalGuide.com. Now, sit back, take a deep breath, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Aligned Women Podcast. I'm your host. I'm Dr. Danielle Eaton. If you've been listening to this show for longer than this episode, then you already know who I am. So it feels kind of funny to introduce myself to you every show, but you never know. Maybe there's someone that's new to the show that's listening right now. If that's you, by the way, hi. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. In this new episode of The Aligned Women Podcast, I am bringing you a guest to the show. Her name is Lori Hibna. Lori is the founder and the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer at VMD Services, that is Virtual Marketing Director Services. Lori's company supports healthcare practitioners of all kinds with growing their business and attracting more patients. Lori's team reached out and asked if we were interested in having her on the podcast. And that happens relatively often. Most of the time I say no. In this case, I thought it would be interesting for you to hear from someone who is in the healthcare profession as a marketer, not as a healthcare provider. In other words, Lori helps with the front end, Lori and her team, not just Lori, Lori's company helps with the front end of your practice, not necessarily the delivery aspect, like the hands-on care aspect. But as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, marketing is essential. You've got to market your practice. Yes, even in this time, these unprecedented, unusual, unpredictable times that we're in. In this episode with Lori, you're going to hear us talk about everything from work-life balance, if it's real or if it's a myth. We're going to talk about what needs to shift in how you market your practice today. And we will also talk about Lori's passion project, if you will, for suicide prevention and awareness, as well as PTSD. And Lori shares her story around how she became an advocate for building awareness around those issues. And, and I feel like about something that's very relevant right now, because as healthcare providers, we need to be aware that the rate of suicide has increased during the pandemic era. And we need to be able to support our patients. We need to be able to get them to the right resources. We also need to be able to recognize warning signs. So Lori and I talk a little bit about that today and what to do in those cases. The conversation that Lori and I had, I felt like helped me reaffirm something that I've been questioning over the last few weeks. 
And as you know, I started this podcast in 2016 because I wanted something that was specifically for women in chiropractic. And now I have felt like, I don't know, a few months, maybe even getting close to a year now, that conversation is over. (laughs) That, okay, now there's lots of awareness of women in chiropractic needing or, or wanting different kinds of supports. And yet, when Lori and I talked through this episode, what I realized is that we're actually just at the beginning. I think what I was feeling was like, okay, well, we've brought awareness to women's unique needs in our profession. And now it's time to move on to building awareness for people of color in our profession and other minorities in our profession. And saying that out loud right now, even though I've just recorded this episode uh, with Lori, this interview with Lori less than two hours ago, it seems kind of funny that that's kind of where my brain had gone to, but it's true. I was kind of thinking like, "Mm, okay, I I think the work is done. And maybe I was just feeling uninspired. But yeah, this conversation with Lori really helped me to reaffirm that the work isn't done. The work is really just beginning. Whether we're talking about advocacy for females in our profession or advocacy for Black people in our profession or otherwise, the work is just beginning. So I share that with you, not to make you feel like, oh gosh, really? (laughs) Like, really? Can't we just be done yet? No, but I share that with you to remind you to pace yourself because it's been, things have been intense, right? Things have been intense and it's easy to get caught up in the moment and like really feel like you've got to change so many things and do do so many things differently when really this is a marathon, not a sprint. So yeah, that's just a little bit about where I'm at with things. (laughs) overall, but I'm thankful to Lori and this conversation that she shared with me and with you today to help me feel reaffirmed and committed to bringing awareness to the support that we need and deserve for women, for Black people, and for other minorities in the chiropractic profession. Okay, so on that note, I'm going to just let you dive in to the interview here with Lori Hipma. Hi, everyone. I didn't give you a heads up that I would be here live with a guest today. I am, however, here live with a guest today, and her name is Lori Hibba. Lori, we're going to get started by you sharing a bit more about who you are with our audience of chiropractors today. Excellent. So, um, hello. Thank you for having me. It's, it's fun. I always love this. Uh, wasn't expecting to be live, but that's cool. We're good. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> it's fun. A little bit about me. Um, I am currently, I am the co-owner for two marketing agencies. I started them, uh, they're digital marketing agencies. I started them 10 years ago. We focused mainly on the health industry. I personally have worked in chiropractic before. I worked front desk and back desk and billing. So the fun ones discovered that I'm not very clinical. (laughs) So the desk was much better for me. Marketing was a much better fit for me. Um, My background, I have a degree in IT with certificates in accounting and multimedia. So pretty much a hodgepodge of education to go with all that. When you say you're not very clinical, what does that mean? What makes you not very clinical? 
Well, I'm fine with clinical if I don't have to deal with blood or anything of those matters. (laughs) I've worked in, in chiropractic. I've worked in podiatric and I just found out the hard way that I am just not that good of a person when it comes to body fluids of any kind. (laughs) So needed to stay away from the treatment options. Two marketing agencies feels like, whoa, to me, I've done this in the past where I was running two businesses and raising four kids. And I felt like I'm going to lose my mind. (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. for a bit I did. How did you start not one, but two marketing agencies? Um, Yeah. So I originally started the agencies with the idea that I was just going to do a few websites from home and work at my kitchen table. And I have four children as well. And uh, when my, we adopted a a little girl, my daughter from Haiti. And when she was about five years old, I decided I had been working pretty much all the time. And I just decided, you know, I want to be a home more. So I decided, okay, um, at that time I had been working for a podiatrist and I decided I wanted to, to work from home. I wanted to do this on my own and started doing little projects here and there and did a few websites for a few different clients and just kind of built the business that had referring people that, that really helped me grow the business in a lot of different ways. It helped me make a lot of contacts that started word of mouth. But most of that was in the medical arena. And as I was doing work in medical with doctors and physicians and physical therapists, and as I was doing that work, it was on the advice of my legal counsel to actually start the second business and name it specifically for medical, just as protection, because you're dealing with HIPAA and you're, you know, all the, the different intricacies that can come along with medical And they, you know, he said, you really do need to separate those two because they each should have different types of liability insurance. So there's, there's a lot of things that go into marketing for the medical arena, medical niches that you have to pay attention to. What are some of those things? If you can talk about that a bit more, what do you feel like clients come to you not knowing that you wish that they did know already? I think one of the big things that you deal with is if you're working with email marketing or even social media and you are given a patient list, you have HIPAA, right? So you have, you have those wonderful identifiers that you have to worry about with each patient, which if you read HIPAA law, it talks about what you can and can't say, what you, what is marketing, what isn't marketing. And so when you're working with a marketing agency and you're specifically in medical, you really need to be paying attention to, are they paying attention to HIPAA? Are they willing to sign a business associate agreement? If they're not willing to sign a business associate agreement, if they can't prove to you that they've been HIPAA certified, I wouldn't do business with them because you're giving them information about your practice, but as well as in some cases about your patients, or at least you're giving them access to platforms your patients are going to visit like your social media, your website. So at that point, it becomes really important to make sure that you know that who you're working with can understand exactly what they need to do or say or not say. (laughs) Well, HIPAA is one of those things that we wish we didn't have to pay attention to, but unfortunately we do. I mean, there are good things about HIPAA. It's designed to protect 
information, which I mean, really should be in everyone's best interest. It's just from the perspective of the business owner or the healthcare provider, it can feel like a lot of extra bureaucratic stuff to manage. Yeah. And yet it's, it's not negotiable either. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I love that you point that you point that out. Cause it's often asked about in aligned chiropractors or in um, courses or aligned women. Um, how do we work? How do we work around those things? And it's not necessarily working around them. It's working with them. Yeah. And, and I, you know, as a marketing agency spent a lot of money with attorneys making sure I knew exactly what my, my marketing agency had to do or had to provide both to my team, as far as training is concerned, as well as to our, you know, our doctors and our, our physicians and medical personnel that we work with. So this is changing topics, but as I'm listening to you talk, I can just imagine that you feel similarly to a lot of women in chiropractic, where traditionally it's a very patriarchal profession. Marketing, in my opinion, is also a very, I don't want to say male dominated because I don't believe that's necessarily the case anymore, but it still has like these patriarchal systems and expectations and um, models within them. From your perspective, how does that play a part into how you show up as a business owner as well? Yeah, that's always been a challenge. I think especially when you are working in the medical arena, it is still very geared towards, as you said, the patriarchal influence. But the thing of it is, is I do believe that it's, it's shifting a little bit. I think women are standing up and being noticed. And the ones that are really being noticed are the ones that are doing it with grace. And they're assertive and they're graceful at the same time, but they're not aggressive. I think that's one of the biggest issues I find in my industry is a lot of people feel like if a woman is in the marketing industry specifically, they're going to fall into one of two areas. They're going to be considered either quite aggressive or they're going to be considered almost a doormat. They become the, the grunts, right? They're not asserting themselves. So if you assert yourself, sometimes you're seen as aggressive. So it's a really hard balance to hit. I do believe that, there, that it is something that can be achieved. I think it takes a lot of time and energy And sometimes it feels like we have to spend a lot more time and a lot more energy to accomplish the same things. But at the same time, I I feel like it's really worth it. As I was listening to what you were describing, I could kind of feel this sense of like, as a woman who owns a business, who is, who works in the realm of marketing, that you're either aggressive or it's like pink washing, (laughs) like everything needs to be cute. And, Mm -hmm. um, and like, I can't think of another word, but I think you can kind of see where I'm going with this, right? Like it needs to feel feminine or girly, which isn't really necessary either. Right. And I think a lot of times what I find is that I feel there are times where I'm, you know, in the company of mainly men. And there are times I feel like instead of being viewed as a woman in business, I'm viewed more as their little sister kind of thing or somebody they need to take care of, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, I I appreciate that the people I work around care, (laughs) but sometimes it's just, it's really hard to be seen as an expert in your area with that 
main type of attitude happening around you. I think feeling like you are the expert in your area of business, regardless of what kind of business you're in as a woman, it's still an uphill challenge. It really is. I think that we have to work a lot harder to show that we can have the same amount of expertise or even more than our male counterparts. So how does this play into the work that you do with your clients? How do you help women who are healthcare providers to position themselves as experts? I know for women in chiropractic, it happens, unfortunately, still now quite often where someone walks into their office and says, you're the doctor. You're too pretty to be the doctor. Oh, you're the doctor. You're too young to be the doctor. Where's the male doctor? As if the female doctor is somehow less than or incapable, or I think it's probably, I'm just making an assumption. It's perhaps more predominant in chiropractic because we do a manual type of service. And so there's this notion that you've got to be a certain size or look a certain way in order to be effective for the patients. What are your thoughts? I do think the more physical the job is, the more it is assumed that the male population is going to dominate that market. And I, I know from my perspective, so going into marketing, I started marketing back when you were still coding websites, right? Hard coding websites. And back then, women didn't code. That was, in in fact, it still is very much a male dominated area when you're talking about engineering and coding and the real tech heavy specifics that go into digital marketing. A lot of times you're still up against a very strong male presence as far as most of those roles being held within agencies. You find a lot of women who are writers graphic artists, more of your visuals. But when you start going into the tech aspect, you definitely run into a a heavier male population. And I think for me, what I have learned to do is, first of all, really adapt to that. Because there's always something I can learn from them. Whether they're male, female, it doesn't matter. There is something I should be able to learn from them. And I try to treat them with the kind of respect that I would want to be treated with. And sometimes that means pushing for the last word, but at the same time, doing so, like I said, respectfully, sometimes it means really holding your ground. I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do for women in business is when you feel like you're in an area that is dominated by men, it's hard to hold your ground and it's really hard to figure out how to do so with grace. I'm with you. <laughs> I, I feel like it's particularly hard right now to hold your ground in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. And to remember that we can all learn from each other is really important. In the online space, on social media, for example, it's really easy to find yourself in a place of feeling attacked or judged, ridiculed, criticized, and, um, and just remembering that first and foremost, that what someone else says is not really about you. It's more so about them, but that we can also witness that and to not feel like we have to attack each other, which I think is a big reason, perhaps an even bigger reason right now, why women are afraid to put themselves out there, why women who own their own practices are afraid of marketing because they're afraid of the criticism that they might 
slash will receive from someone at some point. Have you experienced that yourself in marketing your own business? Do you ever feel afraid to put yourself out there? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I have had other marketing agencies that are mostly male-dominated basically tell me I didn't know what I was doing. I have definitely felt like they weren't even interested in working with us because I was a woman different vendors. So I definitely feel that, you know, there are times, even still, I've gone to conferences recently and work, you know, you're, you're there and you're working with people who may or may not become your clients. And I have had people turn their noses up at me and walk away, but I have my CEO. So I just recently sold my business and am still co-owner and founder but I took on the, the title of CMO and he took on the title of CEO. We kind of switched roles. And so that's been fun. But one of the things I discovered when I introduced him into the business is that when I would go to conferences, it was always good. And I had never experienced this before, but it was always good to have a man and a woman at the conferences because some people will gravitate more towards him and some will gravitate more towards me. And so there are still many times where I've been there trying to talk to a client and it's very, very obvious that because I am a woman, they're not going to talk with me. So we definitely have run up against that. <laughs> well, my brain then naturally goes to, okay, how do we fix that? What are the solutions? Mm-hmm. And yet I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if there is a solution. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to fix it overnight. Right. We're, we're going down the road of equality in many areas now. We're not going to fix that. That's, that's an age long question since the beginning of time. <laughs> right. So we're not going to fix it overnight. But I do think that as women, my belief is that we're a little more versatile. We can mm-hmm. pivot a little faster. And mm-hmm. I think we learn very quickly what we need to do to, to kind of get around those roadblocks. For me, bringing him to the conference and being able to identify who he should talk to and who I should talk to became part of my solution. Is it exactly the way I want it? Should it be that way? No, of course not. But it definitely is something that became part of the solution. Now, one of the things that also led me down the road is the person I hired who, like I said, he came on and he was my COO. He just purchased the majority of the company and he is now the CEO. And, but one of the things that has been critical for us from the get-go is he has never, in fact, we've turned down business when um, he's, he's never, he's never allowed somebody to discount me just because I'm a woman. He and my husband and my, my sons, even my daughter as young as she's 17. So she's still very young. And, They have all really stood behind me and they've been proud of who I am. They've been proud of what I've done. And like I said, my COO, we've, there were a couple of people we turned business away because he flat said, he goes, you're not going to treat my CEO that way. You're not going to treat her that way because she's a woman. How dare you? I think you just hit the nail on the head there that that's really important. It's not Mm -hmm. just on us as women to 
I don't know if it's necessarily about equality. In some ways it is. I mean, we have equal rights legally and yet we don't feel as though we do. But for us to have men to be able to advocate for us. Yeah. Right. I think that's a really big deal. I think that that's really critical is you have to have those other voices. You know what they say, you can talk about yourself all day long, but when somebody else talks about you, then people listen. Yeah, this is a very hot topic in chiropractic right now because for a very long time, it's been a very white male dominated profession. And of course, if you're a white man, you don't see anything wrong with that. And for some people, the traditional model of success in our profession has worked. It's worked really well. And for others, it hasn't. And it's actually been harmful to them. And that was why I started this podcast five years ago, (laughs) because I wanted to be able to bring Um, I wanted to be able to bring some support to women in chiropractic at the time. There wasn't anything really out there. Now there's two or three other podcasts specifically for women in chiropractic. And now we also have a new level of awareness in regard to black people, other minorities in our profession that they've also felt underrepresented. And I think that it just kind of comes back around to having the white men in our profession be allies. And that's where we've really gotten stuck is that those of us that have felt underrepresented have felt like they don't want to change. They don't see a problem. So they don't want to do anything differently because what's what already exists is working to their benefit. It's working for them. Well, and I think too, that you also have to look at it and for a white man to stand up for me, or anybody, any minority of any kind, chances are he's going to have to have seen the inequality himself, right? Which is what you're saying. If they don't see it, they have no reason to change it. Or they may understand it, but they, because they haven't seen it, they're not going to be as effective in changing it, right? They may hear us, they may understand what we're saying about it, but they're not going to necessarily be the ones to step forward and make it change. In the marketing industry, it's definitely very male dominated. You typically do not see a lot of CEOs, owners that are women in this industry. The majority of them are men. And I do think that women aspire to do that, but sometimes the challenges are just, well, let's face it, sometimes they're too big. I think when we're trying to balance being a parent and whether you're a single parent or married, when you're a parent and you're trying to balance that with your home life and you really want to take care of your kids, it's really hard because that's what people identify you with, right? Yeah. They identify you with being a mom. And in a lot of people's opinions, if you're a mom, you don't have room for anything else. Well, unfortunately, that's often true, or that your capacity for other things is so limited. But what I've been really advocating for is for women to advocate for themselves and to know that you have to do that. If you're feeling overwhelmed and exhausted by trying to take care of everyone, your patients and your family and yourself and your partner and the business, that that's not necessarily because there's something wrong with you. 
(laughs) or that you can't do it, but that you need to advocate for your own needs. And it's so hard in the beginning because, and then probably also again and again later, but because it's so counterculture to advocate for your own needs and to really know that by taking care of yourself, you actually are taking care of everyone else and you're more able to have the bandwidth to be a strong business owner and also a strong leader in your family and just a human, a fully capable resourced human. Right. Right. And it, you know, the thing of it is, is you want to give your all to everything, right? Mm -hmm. So learning, I think one of the biggest challenges that women face in business is learning as you know, I don't believe that work and, and life balance is real. I believe it's a big myth. I believe we want it, but I believe you're either in a, a situation where you're working really hard or you're living really hard outside <laughs> of work. Um, and I think that women need to be able to say, not only this is what I need, but this is what I want, right? I want more time with my family. So how do they carve that out and still look like the professionals that they are? Like they can stand on their own two feet. How do we do that? If men decide to take a vacation, it's usually assumed that that's not a problem. They can do it and they're going to come back and work is still going to be the same as it always was. Women say, you know what, I want to take a vacation. And the question instantly becomes, well, how are you going to keep up on your work? Right. So we get all sorts of fun, additional questions asked of us. And I think it's really hard for most men to understand that, um, you know what, it's no different for us than it is for them. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit. I'm curious to hear from you, your thoughts on how this pandemic era changes healthcare, but also changes how we market healthcare. Oh, okay. So how did the pandemic change healthcare? I can tell you from our experience working with, we, we work with easily over a hundred doctors in multiple different fields, physical therapists. Um, I can tell you what we have experienced is that first of all, healthcare shifted online. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody went to telemedicine um, Medicare and a lot of the insurance companies opened up their doors and their budgets to approve telemedicine, which that was a, a definitely not a part of healthcare prior to the pandemic. Most insurance companies shied very far away from paying for telemedicine. So that has been a, a big part of it. But I also think, and, and this is one of the very critical things I think people are starting to realize, is people who are returning back to their offices, returning back to their clinics, are really starting to look at how they're spending their time, knowing that there's a really good chance that this fall, this is all going to happen again, right? That's kind of the expectation that we're all hearing And so one of those questions becomes, what does that look like this fall? Okay, so you're going to do telemedicine. How does that work in your particular industry, right? How does telemedicine work in chiropractic? That's a big challenge, right? And if you can't be seeing patients, then what do you do with that time? 
How do you maintain your business? How do you market your business? What can you do to stay in touch in, in front of your clients? So your patients. And, and so that becomes the next piece of it. And then the, the, the other big piece that we're seeing with the telemedicine movement is that while physicians and doctors and therapists, everybody can adopt telemedicine now fairly easily. There's quite a few companies that have sprung up that can help you. A lot happened in a very short period of time. <laughs> and um, I think the biggest thing that one of the biggest challenges that the, the health industry is facing with that is the way the patients adopt telemedicine. So a lot of the physicians and clinics and stuff have learned how to adopt it very well. But when you have an audience that maybe isn't real technical, how do your patients adopt that? And there are a lot of, especially when you go, you know, 50 and older, um, there are a lot of patients that are just not comfortable having a, a, any kind of appointment in front of a, of a computer screen or off of an iPad or a phone. They're just not comfortable with that. And, and it is something to change. It's a challenge, you know, we do the, do the patients, what do you ask them to do in front of a computer? And then they worry about their privacy. And there's, there's so many aspects of that. And I think, so those are the biggest challenges that I see that have come through healthcare as far as marketing during this crisis the message has to change. It can't just be about the conditions you treat anymore, right? It has to be about care for the patient, not just care for the condition. So what does that look like? So change your messaging so that your messaging impacts the patient where they're at. If they're concerned about how do I do telemedicine, make sure you have information on telemedicine program you're using. If they're concerned about what does an appointment via telemedicine look like? Make sure you have that very laid out so that they don't have any surprises. Make sure you identify the technology they need. Make sure they understand maybe if they can't do use technology or maybe if the type of treatment the patient needs is a very hands-on treatment, then look at valet medicine. Stop going to telemedicine and go to valet medicine where you have a separate entrance and exit and they wait out in their car but then have you got an app, you know, so that now you have to think a little bit bigger. Like, do you have an app for that? Do you have an app that says where the patient can be on their phone and they can say, hey, they hit the button and it says, I'm here or I'm on my way. Or, you know, there are apps out now where the, the patient can say only within when they're within like a mile of the practice, can they actually say, I'm on my way. Only when they're within 50 feet of the door, 100 feet of the door, can they say, I'm here. And then that allows the staff and everybody to go out, get the patient, escort them in, avoid the, the reception room, and really give that patient that individual care. So I think there's a lot of different things that people can do to market their business, but they, it is going to require a completely different shift. I think the biggest mistake I have seen through this pandemic with practices is that they just stop marketing. Yes. I'm like, you never stop marketing. In fact, it's during these times, you should be marketing more, but your message has to change. You don't want to come off opportunistic, which is something I talked to you about earlier. 
That's something that a lot of people are very concerned about is they don't want to be seen as being opportunistic, but you're not any more opportunistic now than you were before. And you're, you weren't opportunistic then, right? Because you were seeing people and treating patients that needed help. So you still got to treat and see those patients and those patients, the ones that are in pain and speaking as somebody who has major back issues, guess what? The pandemic didn't stop my, my back pain. Right. <laughs> so when I need to find a chiropractor and my chiropractor was one of those that shut down. So when I needed to find somebody, I had to find somebody who was still doing, who was still opening their doors. And now that I found that person, I know that even this fall, guess what? They're still going to have open doors. So am I going to go back to my previous chiropractor? And the answer is no. So I think the way you market and the, the vision you have as far as staying open during these times is going to impact future business in a really big way. Well, I think it's important too to remember that what you do for marketing right now doesn't pay off necessarily right now, but that you see the fruits of your labor in months and years from now. So if you want to have a thriving practice in months or years from now, then yes, you need to be marketing. And yes, we can also do that in ways that that demonstrate that you have an awareness of what's really going on in the world, right? right? But at the root of it, marketing is, in my opinion, it's about helping people understand that you have something that they that they need or want and that is good for them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't let them know that, then they don't know that and they miss the opportunity to have something that is good for them that would make a positive impact in their life. And I don't know about you, but I feel like, People really need more positivity in their life. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I think I think the patient experience, right? That's what we're talking about is do the patients, when they interact with you, whether it's through your marketing or in person, do they have a positive experience or are you contributing to the negativity, right? So mm-hmm. if you are going to have a positive experience, okay, so I'm having back pain. The person I really want to talk to is my chiropractor. Let's face it. That's who I really want to talk to. And if I go and I see them or if their marketing message is, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. (laughs) That is not going to help me feel better. (laughs) That's not going to add to my experience. And then that's going to detract from my ability to trust them. So part of this whole thing that's going on right now is, is the patient experience and trust. You've got to show up as a trustworthy person. And that means you need to be really grounded in reality, not panicked. You do have to have a very big awareness of what's going on and where people are at. And you do have to be aware of that, but you don't have to make it worse. I think that's the big thing is be aware of where people are, but don't make it worse for them. And you're going to have, you know, patient A is going to be, hey, I don't care. I don't want to wear a mask. You don't have to wear a mask. You know, they're going to, that's who that patient's going to be. They're going to be completely not worried about stuff. And then you're going to have patient B and they maybe are extremely immune compromised, right? They may be in a situation where they have a really good reason for staying home, but yet their back hurts. So you have to find that nice balance with them where you can actually say to them, you know what? I understand your compromise. We're going to help you in this way. 
we're going to do these measures. Would that help you? And even if they are not comfortable, even if they come back and they say, you know what, I just can't leave. I just can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it. They're going to remember that you tried everything, right? They're going to remember what you did to try and help them, even if they themselves make the decision not to come in. Mm -hmm. I think that's critical. On the note of helping make positive changes in people's lives, you are working to bring awareness to suicide prevention and PTSD. Okay. First, how did you get started with this work and what do you want to share about that today? Well, I myself have been diagnosed with PTSD. And the reason why is when we were adopting our daughter from Haiti, I ended up getting stuck in Haiti during a coup. And when you're at a hotel and you see people running around with machine guns and you hear shooting all night long and you hear bullets ricocheting off the outside walls of the hotel, it's a little freaky, quite frankly. So I had experienced with PTSD going all the way back 17 years ago and worked through that. And then my oldest son joined the army, went to Iraq, did a tour in Iraq, came back from Iraq, a completely different person than when he entered the service. And I mean, Jekyll and Hyde, completely different person. Didn't listen to the same music, didn't dress the same, didn't act the same, completely different personality. He was diagnosed with PTSD, but through the exit process after he had served his time, through the exit process, even though it was marked in his chart, it was never followed up with, which is petrifying. He was married at the time. And about a year and a half after he had gotten out, he and his wife were expecting a child and We saw him really spiraling for multiple reasons, but PTSD will lend towards some very unhealthy coping skills if it's not treated. And he ended up in dealing with alcohol and drugs and him and his wife split and they had a baby. And one day I got a phone call. And it's that phone call that no parent ever wants to get. In fact, I was on the phone with a client building their marketing strategy when I got that call. And that call was, your son is gone. And he had committed suicide. It was probably the most challenging time in my business and my personal life. You name it. I'm not the same person I was when I, when that happened. You can't go through something like that and come out of it the same person. You just can't. And so through all of that, identifying why do people go down that road, right? And you can't identify that if you haven't experienced it, but you also have to look at it and say, okay, could that have been avoided? And in some cases it can, and in some cases it can't. That's the one thing that's really sad about suicide is a lot of times when somebody's put their mind to it, There's not a lot you can do, but you can try and you always try and you never stop trying, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. I think that for me, advocating for our veterans has been a huge thing for me. 22 veterans, and this is the recorded number, but 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And that's a lot. That's just US. Okay, That's astonishing. 
but that's the number we know about. That's not including those that aren't reported the right way. Mm -hmm. That's just the number that are reported. And so I think when we look at how do we stop that, we, we have to look at what identify what's causing that road to happen. Why do veterans commit suicide more often than the general public? Why does that happen? And we have to identify that. There's a lot that goes into identifying that. There's so many different avenues that can go down, but we have to pick an avenue and go down it. And so that's one of the big things. Mental health, you know, that's another major aspect of suicide, right? They're usually very linked together. So identifying, if you can't identify it in a specific area, identify what the person you're concerned about needs and help talk to that. Don't just sit back and somebody asked me once, they said, I'm worried about my son. I get a lot of people asking me questions and they said, I'm worried about my son. And I said, stop talking to me and go get him help. Just stop. You can't spend time talking about it. You have to act. And sometimes that's meaning you're going to help have him get the mental health that they need, right? The help they need to get past the situation. Sometimes it's voluntary. Sometimes it's not. Mm -hmm. And I would rather if, if I could go back and it meant that my son was ticked off at me for the rest of his life, but he was alive. Guess what? He could be ticked off at me for the rest of his life. I'm fine with that. <laughs> but there are times where you have to just stop talking about it and you have to do something about it. And I guess the thing I would say to anybody who's listening to this, and I know that our pandemic has created huge issues for people who are home alone. They're not getting the social interaction they need. They're not getting the help they need, right? Because so many services have been shut down. What I'm going to say is go, go to the neighbor's house, knock on the door, go talk to somebody, call somebody, do something, but don't just sit there and think that the world would be better off or that this is going to stop your pain because it's not. The world will not be better off without that person. And the and suicide's not going to stop the pain. It's just going to create more pain for those around you. And I don't think people understand that. I feel very concerned about this topic because I feel like what we are experiencing now in the world, in our country in particular, and what we will continue to experience over the next few months, presumably, is creating new conditions that will contribute to higher rates of suicide, which we've already seen and PTSD. And I feel like as a lot of chiropractors are aware of, this is not something that will just affect the person experiencing the trauma, but also it will be passed down to other generations as well. Mm -hmm. So again, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to this, but thank you for sharing your story and thank you for bringing awareness to this conversation because, you know, it's, um, it's not something that people really want to talk about. And yet if we don't, then we can't make improvements. We can't, we can't advocate for people that need support and need help if we're just pretending like it doesn't exist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe that's how people really help as they start talking about it. Ah, oh, Lori, thank you so much for everything that you've shared in this conversation. Yeah. It's been really fun getting to know you and getting to know more about your business. 
if someone that's listening would like to connect with you, where is the best place for that person to go? We have two websites. One is vmdservices.com. So it's V as in Victor, M as in Mary, D as in dog services.com. It stands for virtual marketing director services. So reaching to me through there, that's always a good option. Or we have our podcast that's going to be coming live next week. And that is before happy hour. So it's the letter B, the number four, happyhour.com. So we're really excited about that. We have some great guests lined up and um, yeah, we're excited. So it'll be good. Those LinkedIn's also a really good identifier and it's just Lori Hibma, L-O-R-I-H-I-B-M-A. What can people expect to hear about on your new podcast? Well, we call it before happy hour because that's what we're going to be focusing on. We're going to be focusing on all things that happen before happy hour. And trying to live your business as if every hour in your business is happy hour. So (laughs) (laughs) identifying what does that look like? And we're going to be talking about everything from startups to crisis management in the business. But we're also going to be talking about what I call passion projects, which is, like I said, the support for PTSD, um, survivors against suicide, suicide survivors. So just all of those different aspects. So we're going to be talking about passion projects and and everything business related. So it's going to be a great show. There's going to be multiple hosts. I'm going to be one, the main host, but there will be other people from my team that have specialties in different areas that are going to be um, talking as well. That sounds fun. Okay. Well, we'll be sure to include the links to your websites and the new podcast in the show notes and um, listeners will be able to find those at alignwoman.com forward slash podcast. When your episode is live, it will be right at the top of the page. Okay, Laurie, thank you again so much for being with me today. I really appreciate everything that you've shared and I hope to connect with you again soon. Great, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you again for joining me for this episode of the Aligned Women Podcast. If you love this show, please share your favorite episode with another woman in chiropractic. Think of your classmates and the women who practice near you. Is there one who you know is tired, overwhelmed, exhausted, just burned out? If so, let her know about the Aligned Women podcast right away. And if you love what you hear on this show and want more insight into Aligned Women's proven method for women in chiropractic on how you can have more time freedom and more financial freedom, how you can build a practice full of the right patients, not just more of them, and how you can feel confident that you're making the impact you were born to make as a chiropractor. Be sure to grab the Aligned Chiropractors Survival Guide at alignedchirosurvivalguide.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.